I've always loved animals. I'm in the school of natural resources and environment. I call myself an ethical person. I think I stand for X, Y, Z. I don't really see these animals on my plates. I don't really see them in the labels. Uh, that is my, the joys of my life are absolutely standing on the suffering of these other beings that I, I say I love, that I was feeding carrots to in an ec ecological trip. How does that work? It doesn't work. <laughs> so I got out of the movie theater and I, I turned to my friend and said, starts today where we're going for dinner. That was February 15th, 2016, and I haven't changed since because it did not match who I wanted to be, and that was it. I've been trying to improve my vegan self ever since. That was Vitor Lira, and this is Techawat with Benjamin Morse. Welcome back to the show. Shouldn't we all just be considering vegetarianism, veganism, or leading with a plant-based diet as we move into some of the most crucial years we have ahead of us to fight climate change? Today's guest, Vitor Lira, will help us unpack his journey and why he decided to go vegan or plant-based uh, about five or six years ago and what really led him to that decision. Vitor was born in Brazil and has grown up as a really passionate advocate for environmental conservation, community empowerment, and sustainable developments. Uh, he adventured from his home country of Brazil to Massachusetts here in the United States at the age of 17. And within this, this time frame, going to boarding school, it was really a transformational experience for him. So we talk a little bit about that in this conversation. We also talk about our time together in the School uh, of Natural Resources and Environment uh, in the University of Michigan, which is now the School for Environment and Sustainability, where we both pursued uh, our master's degrees together. And we definitely share that experience. And, and one of the beautiful parts about that time back in 2014 is we connected uh, around soccer or football, as Vitor would say, him being a Liverpool fan, myself being a Manchester United fan, but really having profound respect for the game and for what it really helped both of us achieve in our lives and kind of instill the values of uh, playing uh, a sport growing up. Uh, in this conversation, we, of course, uh, talk about veganism or plant-based diets, however you want to frame it. Uh, Vitor shares his story about what drove him to make the switch, and we explore various ways in which uh, people around the world are starting to think about shifting their diets to a more climate-sensitive uh, diet and more uh, adaptive diet. So as we're shifting into the really crucial years here to combat climate change, I think diet is one of the pieces that doesn't often get talked about. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. We talk about some of those in this conversation, and I hope that you come into this episode with an open mind uh, if you are currently not uh, vegetarian or uh, vegan, and that's totally, totally fine. We're excited to share a little bit of our insight uh, 
into our journeys and hopefully we inspire you to just take another look at what you put in your mouth and really think about what that means uh, for you in your own context. So we are, again, uh, very excited to share this conversation with you, and we will jump into it in a moment. Oi, tudo bem? Vitor, welcome to the podcast. Muito obrigado, Ben. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Good Portuguese. That was, thanks. That was my terrible attempt to greet you in Portuguese, but uh, I, I figured I would I would give it a try. Very good. Thank you. We, we could practice more pronunciation, but I knew what you were saying. You're good. <laughs> that's that's all that matters. And actually, that's anyone listening to this that speaks Portuguese is is just shaking their head right now. But I hope I get just a little bit of credit for trying. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, again, uh, super happy to have you here. Uh, I I know we could be talking about so many different things, and I've I've really been thinking about you uh, for the past couple of months as I've been getting into this podcast. So I'm I'm really glad that we were able to make this work. Great. I am. You know, I'm super pleased as well. You know, the the challenges that we're facing all over the world, the deep, you know thinking time that we have now to to kind of rearrange how society really operates and copes with these challenges it starts with us and it's good to have conversations like these to clarify even if it's just one thought one action for a person it's a big difference and you're the kind of guy that i know really dives into these things and lives a life full of purpose. So I'm so glad to be here because you're one of those people that really spend life, um, you know, to the fullest, I think, and analyzed life. So super proud to be here. I'm honored, man. It's very kind of you to say. I'm, I'm chuckling just a little bit because I'm thinking back of our, our time, our collective time at uh, what is now the School for Environment and Sustainability mm-hmm. at the University of Michigan. Uh, was the School uh, of Natural Resources and Environment when we were there. Uh, and I'm I'm laughing because I remember we went out to the Arboretum uh, as part of our ecology course. Oh, yeah. And we were doing all these little field tests and, and just kind of like, you know, dusting off some uh, field ecology skill sets. Uh, and I, I remember you and I were just kind of chatting about Liverpool, Manchester United, <laughs> just kind of shooting the shit about soccer while at the same time just... Yep. enjoying kind of each other's company and, and just being in the warm embrace of nature. So that was, that yeah. was like a, a nice spot for our, our relationship to get seated and to ultimately bud. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember those very few first experiments. I had basically no ecology background before then. Um, I arrived at SNRE at the time, right, as a former philosophy student. I had just gotten my bachelor's in, in that, mostly spending time in my own head, not outside, um, trying to think about how to go outside and what I should do. And I remember those experiments were just fascinating. You know, I was always interested in nature, but actually being there, getting my hands dirty, and it was so cool to find people that were interested in that 
the deep thinking thing, the nature thing, and also soccer, which is, you know, football, which is, I think, a language that the whole world speaks. Uh, even if they can't, can't say hi to each other, they know how to <laughs> complain if they don't get the ball where they want it. Uh, but it breaks so many boundaries and certainly builds amazing relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, I will also say, you know, I, I saw Brazil was successful in your first Copa America game against Venezuela. Congratulations right. on the 3-0 win. I don't know how you're feeling about the tournament or prospects <laughs> moving into next year's World Cup, but uh, you, know, you showed up game one. <laughs> it is it is insane. I actually didn't see that one game. I'm following the Euros pretty closely, but mm-hmm. I was listening to... I forget which podcast. I think it was the Guardians uh, football, football Weekly. And <laughs> they were introducing the Copa America, just kind of giving an overview of what's happening. And it was supposed to happen in Colombia and Argentina, right? And <laughs> I think Comebol decided, you know, we're going to have this, or CONCACAF, I forget. Anyway, they were trying to decide, okay, we're going to host this in Colombia, where there's a lot of political unrest, or are we going to host this in Argentina, where there's awful COVID cases? And they were like, no, can't do that. Let's put it in Brazil, where we have both. <laughs> so, <laughs> it is happening. Um, you know, my whole family is still there, and they tell me what the situation is like. And it's unfathomable that it would happen in Brazil, but it's money moves more than reason uh how things operate so it's it's going on <laughs> the 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 game is beautiful but i think there's so much around it that is a uh, crazy yeah that's i mean that's such a a stark observation and like i think for me watching even you know watching some of the more recent uh Premier League games at the end of the season mm-hmm. uh, where there actually were fans in the stands like really threw me off because I actually got so used to watching Manchester United play without any fans in the stands you could hear the players yelling you could like get I into the it. game in a like slightly different way mm-hmm. and at first it was just super awkward right like everyone was like well I'm just glad that we have soccer to watch or, or yeah. football to watch because like we've all just been like in our own heads for the past 18 months but uh, it's it's definitely strange to see the fans and the interaction uh, happening. I, I I caught the uh, the U.S. as we saw off Mexico in I the know. Concacaf Nations Cup. That I was, was crazy. Honestly, probably the most entertaining and satisfying game that I've seen in many years. Mm-hmm. It literally had everything, and then the U.S. <laughs> came out on top, which was also an good. added bonus. <laughs> uh, but there was there was. Uh, somebody that uh a pitch invader like some dude ran across the pitch and i was just watching this happen with like everything that you just mentioned just like covid and and the last 18 months and everything happening and just like sitting in this surreal moment of of this fan running across the field and just wondering like where do we go from here you know (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy um and i think I think this is accurate. I kind of glanced at Instagram earlier today and France is playing Germany. And I think someone from Greenpeace parachuted onto the pitch today. I think that's what I saw today. So, like, 
it is unbelievable. Everyone's coming out of the bubble, you know, in some countries more than others or whatnot. And then you have this game, this competition. All these people get together. Who knows who's got what, who's got tested, who's got vaccine. And then this guy parachutes in. Um, you know, Greenpeace is pretty crazy and they do some pretty cool Leave things. Leave it up to Greenpeace man. to be... <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, that's That's... That's part of me absolutely loves that. And then the other part of me just always looks at an organization like Greenpeace and just like very candidly acknowledges that, mm-hmm. you know, y'all are a little bit extreme. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are out there. You guys are, you guys are out there. Yeah. One thing is saying we're here and another one's parachuting onto a tournament, like literally while it's happening. <laughs> That's crazy. That's that's amazing. Well, so for this conversation to to try to steer things a little bit, we're already deep um, in it here. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's good. Um, You know, I really want to take advantage of your personal and professional training uh, as a plant based extraordinaire. I'm trying to think of how to describe you, but I think (laughs) that is a a good word that that sums it up. Environmentalist as well, and I definitely want to like hark back to our time at SNRE in the Environment School at U of M uh, and, and just say like you're definitely someone who's always been willing to learn more about others in order to genuinely foster those connections that ultimately empower people to transform and I think you know one of these areas that our guests listening in right now would be interested in learning much more about is yeah. you know basically the the five W's behind our decisions to go vegan or plant based whatever terms you want to use we can also talk about the terms because those those are fun and really how our experience especially as athletes, I think, has evolved over the years. So I, mm-hmm. I definitely want to get into that. Um, I think we also uh, have a lot of room to kind of talk through travel, like especially you being from Brazil and, and kind of going yeah. on your own uh, geographical journey, uh, which also as a philosophy undergrad, I'm sure you had a lot of uh, philosophical moments throughout that journey as well that oh, yeah. we can unpack. So, you know, there's definitely a lot we can we can chat through we already touched on uh, football a little bit but I think one of probably the maybe the the best places to jump in here would be maybe to take it back to Brazil a little bit mm-hmm. which is like I said where you're from and uh, so you grew up in a, a city called I'm gonna totally butcher this but uh, Belo Horizonte is that really good is that close that's close <laughs> that is close oh so, yeah <laughs> tell me a little bit more about like what what that that city's all about and what it was like growing up. Of course. And, and I'll just say this briefly. I think it was Arigosaki, the Italian legend, who says football is the most important things of the least important things. So I think it's important that we can start there. I think that's fine. <laughs> uh, it really moves the world, moves our hearts for sure. Um, and thinking of Brazil, uh, you know, my origins, you know, especially through the pandemic, I've been thinking about that a lot. And, you know, I went into philosophy because I wanted to figure out what I want to be about. Um, And, you know, my background in Brazil, I was, you know, when people think, oh, a Brazilian guy, if they're not watching a video clip, you know, they're they're either going to think... It's probably if, if they're not listening to my voice and picking up that I'm a male, right? They'll probably think, oh, Brazilian's <laughs> going to be a beautiful woman. They're going to think of someone dancing in the street. Or the flip side is, you know, a, a fairly dark-skinned, poor kid who played soccer amazingly 
talentedly and mm-hmm. just exploded onto the world as a professional and boom, Brazilian, there you have it. Um, I couldn't be <laughs> anything more different than those things. You're neither of those. <laughs> I am neither of those. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> But, uh, you know, that's something I always thought about growing up. You know, our culture kind of venerated these sports figures that come from nothing, that have nothing and their only shot in life is by being these heroes, these semi-godlike figures. And I grew up in a mid to upper class, very white kind of um, community. Not many of the friends and family of mine had to struggle for anything. We pretty much had everything figured out. We had to pick our career and that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought to myself, okay, there, there's a path in life that everyone wants me to take. School wasn't really exciting for me for a very long time. And I loved the sport that everyone loved. <laughs> I wanted to play it. I was pretty good at it till I was like eight. And I was a chubby kid with glasses from right about eight till, you know, I left Brazil, 17. So as I saw myself as such a different person from what society hailed as the end-all be-alls for this thing that they valued most, at least that was my perspective, right? Sure. Um, the golden aim, the golden apple, that was a soccer player. And I was like, I'm, I'm a chubby kid with glasses. People make fun of me. They don't pick me for the teams just because of the way I look. And I fell out of love with sport, with soccer right. specifically, because I felt this doesn't fit me. The, the culture doesn't fit me. Um, so I went inwards. I kind of went towards drawing. I kind of went towards learning English uh, through music and some shows. Um, lots of Discovery Channel, hence the nature connection. And in Belo Horizonte, is a big city. So every opportunity I had to go into the woods a little bit, kind of connect to the real world, <laughs> uh, real nature, I cherished it so much. And when I had the first opportunity to leave Brazil, big city, two and a half million people, I think, and that was the sixth biggest city. I was like, I need something different to really see the world for the first time. And then the U.S. gave me that opportunity. Um, I went to a boarding school. I really immersed myself uh, speaking English greenery all around it was a school that was really geared towards preparing you for college and what you wanted to do with your life and i met people from all over the world it was amazing i went from knowing one black guy in brazil from angola maybe a couple of jewish kids and everyone else was white middle-class catholics um and that's really thin slice of the world, right? We were essentially raised to kind of fear anything that was different, kind of be skeptic of anything that was different. Very racist society when you think of it, because that's how Brazil was colonized. That's kind of the essence of it, Um, drawing the lines. And the U.S. really started to open up the world for me. You know, I haven't been to many countries, but that switch, you know, As I went inward and realized I need to find something different that matches me, 
coming to the U.S. allowed for that, and then the, the vision for the world was kind of being built there because I did get to taste lots of different bits of culture from students and then college and grad school just kept on building there. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, hearing you talk through that, I think is is really interesting on so many layers. I mean, the fact that you, you know, you're you're thinking through your identity and, and when you're eight years old and you're kind yeah. of seeing this moment where you're not necessarily going to be the Ronaldinho or the Ronaldo or the next, the next football player that your society is already subscribed to every single mm-hmm. Brazilian male, like, or at least the right. perception of that, right? And I think that there's that general stereotype or that trope or even just like the, the role models that we are exposed to. And I just say the collective, we like give us very false summits. Like they give us these, Mm -hmm. these interesting things to ponder, but it, like what, what strikes me when you're talking through that is I think of my four-year-old and my two-and-a-half-year-old and, a half year old and mm-hmm. I think about exposure, right? I think about trying to help them understand that the world is just so much bigger than any bubble that any one person is in. Yeah. And I think of like my own so true. experiences and I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before, but my own experiences traveling internationally since I was three years old, coming from a background of uh, privilege as well mm-hmm. in a, a middle to upper class white neighborhood in Colorado and being able to travel internationally was a huge privilege and it was through the lens of travel that it exposed me to all these other people and all these other ways of life yeah. and I think for me I, I now being a father I think about my kids and how how I can expose them to just difference right and, yeah. and just really let them notice it for themselves let them kind of uh play with it kind of think about how they fit in and you mm-hmm. know go through those cycles um when you were so when you were growing up were you aware of of these differences or is that something that you kind of came into your own once you were able to get out of brazil or even just get out of uh that that younger mentality like at what point did that switch kind of get flipped for you yeah that is a very good question because i think the the older i get i see more obvious things that i didn't see before um for example something that's very common in brazil for the middle upper class folks is to have a maid or someone that works with your family Um, that's all I knew. My grandmother's family, my cousin's families, my friend's families, they always had at least one person who came to do the cleaning, the cooking. And a few years ago, I started, well, while I was there still, 15, 16 years old, I'm thinking, all of them have darker skin than I do. All of them don't really live in a city proper. They come from very far away areas. They take public transportation. I, I don't even know some of their last names in most of these places. They People use single names, you know. Um, and it's really rooted in our colonial history in Brazil. Yeah. Um, and a really interesting thing that I think as I started to get into college and really study a little bit more of how U.S. history worked. Um, Well, high school was kind of that, learning more about U.S. history and how 
the, the imperialist movement in the United States pushed Native Americans, pushing, exterminating systematically. Um, I thought about Brazil, because uh, I remember my history classes. I remember my teachers talking about um, all the different slave ship slave ships, all the vessels, all the conditions in there. We're in a pandemic, and I think about how Portuguese and Spanish specifically, they used blankets that had been placed on sick people to give that to the natives, and that wiped out, I think, 90-plus percent of the population. No, it was not a happy thing for a teenager to be thinking about in Brazil, but I was asking these questions you know, myself and, and to my parents um, because I wanted to understand, like, what are we doing here? You know, I'm going to school. I, I remember, and my mom always reminds me of this. I was, you know, my teenage years, I would ask my mom, why, why am I going to school for? I'm not really learning about things that really happen on a day-to-day -day basis, why things are as they are. Um, I'm learning about these equations and, you know, I don't know about banking. I don't know about how really to deal with someone's completely different on the street. And I was asking these questions ever since I can remember. And I don't know that a lot of people have the you know, privilege to be able to do that, of course. Um, but that's always something that was kind of in me. And the more that I live, the more I think about, oh, yeah, this is this is rooted in why my country was built, you know, this is kind of an issue that's all around. Um, and we still deal with these struggles today more than ever. And if we don't fix it, it's never going to be fixed. If we don't make amends for it, it will never be amended for. There's no justice <laughs> if, if nothing is done or even if people aren't aware. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you've you've always kind of struck me as a, a seeker, and I think that hearing the amount of questions that you're asking uh, your your parents, and I'm sure you were asking yourself a lot of questions as mm -hmm. well growing up. Yeah. Like I, I think that that has carried through, and I, I think you know probably drove you uh, into different opportunities, especially once you came to the U.S. Um, can you talk us a little bit through what that that transition was like? I mean, yeah. coming from, you know, like that, your your large city in Brazil and uh, at the age of, what, 17, yeah. you landed in, in Massachusetts yeah. and, and you set a boarding school. Yeah. I mean, what was that like and what 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 did you kind of grasp onto uh, during those moments of transition? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that spot specifically came about because thinking about my family and how they were educated, you know, my brother had the opportunity to go to Columbia for his master's. He got a, an amazing scholarship to go there. My dad, um, I forget the order of his degrees, but he had a PhD and a doctor from MIT and MSU, or, or master school rival, um, but, uh, you know, my family kind of always had this, 
I don't know if it comes from the Portuguese or whatnot, but we were always travelers. Even my grandparents and my mother's side of the family, they were travelers. They were always seeking, you know, something else. I think the nature of my search is more, um, I don't know if it's better or, or not, but I think I always had a search for something beyond myself and something that felt really um essential and benefic for more people than myself and then the u.s was always this spot you know in brazil everyone wants to go to the u.s and go to the promised land of the american dream blah 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 and i had a feeling there was something here for me there was a quest here that i needed to to figure out and i listened to some music for a couple years before i came you know and i had a couple of um well they were actually british schools outside of day school you know a couple of extra hours for maybe a couple years before i came uh so i'd have you know tuesday thursday classes and then did that for a couple of years and i came to the u.s to be a high school student in a boarding school speaking english um and you know i was still not really back in the soccer quite yet i i thought american football was pretty cool because you know you, speed and whatever it had a whole helmets and hitting and yeah yeah yeah, it's the whole entertainment thing you know building up the athlete the super person i was like yeah that's cool i want to be like that you know i'm undefeated you know (laughs) unbeatable um so that propaganda grabbed me and then i was like yeah sure you know I'll, i'll i'll try to play that you know i'll get there see how learning is and all that and the first week of school i broke my middle finger the only broken bone i've ever had in my body um that's hilarious right i barely had a week there knowing anyone i'm already gonna cast and can't play the sport or whatnot <laughs> but it was a, a blessing in disguise i guess because i got to spend more time with books and spend more time with people just chatting with them what's my story what i want to study and i found myself for the very first time falling in love with learning and connecting with people and i was always a pretty shy kid you know because of my childhood and i always thought "Ah, i'm just bullied people don't like the way i look i'm not meant to be this soccer person i can't be it and then I got there, and they're like, "What path do you want?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> right, you can like reinvent yourself almost, right? Yeah, like you can be the person you want to be. We can help you get there, you know. Which, so, which, by the way, anyone can do that. Absolutely. Every single day. I'm just gonna point that one out. Absolutely. Yeah, as a 17 year old, I'm sure that that was was a relatively new lesson for you. Absolutely. Like for the very first time, you don't have the lesson. There was, you don't have to just carry on through school, do the test, get a profession when you're 18 and that's your path in life. Good luck getting a family and paying your taxes and hating your politicians. (laughs) You know, that was kind of the future. (laughs) And I was like, I can't do this. And then I got to the U.S. Getting mad at the news and going to sleep. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. Precisely. And the next day you laugh about some memes. Well, there weren't memes back then, but now it's the same situation, (laughs) but plus memes on social media. Some some comics in the newspaper, maybe. I don't know. What the people used to laugh at. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, however that happened back then. But the United States, you know, in that bubble in itself, you know, I went from a 
up middle upper middle class Brazilian bubble to another bubble in Massachusetts. Um, also very privileged, lots of you know kids from wealthy families from all over the world. Um, I was incredibly lucky to to have that opportunity, and I mm-hmm. I made every second of that count and. I got my best grades than I had ever gotten. I made the most friends that I've ever made. And mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a one-year thing and I'll come back and do schooling in Brazil. But I remember the end of my junior year, you know, you think, oh, that was like more than 10 years ago. How is that <laughs> important sure. for you? But I remember vividly, I finished all my exams. I was flying through things. I was so in the flow, loving studying, loving my classmates, loving my teachers, having a good structure for my life, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. As a student, you don't have to cope with too many things. Of course, you're not paying the bills or whatever, but I woke up at a good time, ate good meals, exercised, met with good people, just really dedicating myself Mm -hmm. to living a fulfilling life. And... Mm -hmm. I finished the exams and I was on this field, on the soccer field, going back to my dorm on my own. And I just had this peaceful moment, just serene presence. And I was like, this worked better than I could ever have imagined. I can't just leave this place now. You know, I feel more alive than I ever have. I have to come back and I'm not leaving because this changed me. You know, this was a watershed moment in my life. Because I I could go after the things I wanted to go after. I could make my mistakes and learn from them. And I never really had that perspective before in Brazil. It's interesting that you you pinpoint it to a memory like that because I... You know, I, I reflect on my own experiences and there's there are those moments, right? It's a watershed moment or the light bulb moment. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's really the culmination of many, many, many experiences yes. and this growth that you may not be aware of. And what I love about those moments is you're going through this growth trajectory already. Yeah. You're just not aware of it yet. Mm-hmm. Because you have those moments, it's it's more of like the veil has been lifted mm-hmm. and you can now see clearly like what has been yeah. happening. And mm-hmm. like, I, I've had, you know, many of those types of things and experiences happen across the course of my life. And I, mm-hmm. I do feel like it's our ability to then remember those and figure out like what it was about that particular moment that made us feel a certain way. Yeah. And how can we then use that to seed our, our future? And how can we use that to just continue to build our most genuine and authentic self? Yeah. And kind of every single day and every moment, every interaction, try to put that version of yourself forward. And it's it's impossible. It's hard. Yes. But it's it's those types of experiences, I think, that really embolden us mm-hmm. to kind of step into that unknown. One thing that strikes me, actually, about what you were just talking about, too, is... You know, earlier you had mentioned that education was something that was not super important to you. It was on the back burner. Uh, my jaw kind of dropped when you you mentioned uh, that, that your your father had just so much education from uh, MIT of of all places, just a, a tiny school that's yeah. not super well known. Engineer Brainiac. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's it's really amazing to see, like when when there's education in the family, uh, when you have that opportunity and it's something that is almost normalized, 
how the the kids react to that, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's yeah, we're all in. Like education is the thing that's always been a core value. Mm-hmm. Uh, other times it's it's like what you just mentioned. Like maybe it took a little while to come around to that. Mm-hmm. Like what what was that experience for you? And like yeah. you know, it sounded like you came back to education a bit, or like yeah. at least started really enjoying it and embracing it as something that is a true passion of yours when you moved to Massachusetts. But like yeah. like how did that evolve for you? I was never really pushed by my parents to, you know, try too many things. Um, they definitely wanted to give me a comfortable life, um, not put me in any kind of scary situations, just try to do sound parenting. Um, but when it came to school, they noticed I wasn't really interested. And I think my lack of interest was because I didn't really see how a lot of the things I learned in school were applicable for my life. Um, how I really explained where we are today and why, how to get through today and <laughs> what comes tomorrow and how you can get there. You know, I didn't really have a sense of that. We learned about colonialism, but we didn't really learn about why society is the way it is because of it. Um, and having that kind of connecting the dots education um, making more applicable, allowing you to kind of choose, choose your own adventure like that book mm-hmm. um, that I know in the U.S. is very famous. In, the, in Brazil, we didn't really have it. But um, I think having the ability to choose your path rather than just follow what the system is telling you to do, the standard education mm-hmm. of Brazil, having that avenue to pick and discover and dive in, you know, show interest in your own life. <laughs> that gave me the ability, um, the opportunity rather, to gain abilities that I thought were interesting. Um, my dad is an engineer. He's a math guy. He teaches some of my nieces the most, you know, to me, dry algorithms and equations which are fascinating they're essential for nature they're everywhere it's magical almost however i don't want to spend my life on that i see the value of course Mm -hmm. but i always thought of myself as someone who needs to go back inside look at the roots of what i can do what she can do what he can do what it can do whatever Mm -hmm. and then piece together an existence for myself that made me, you know, satisfied and made people around me a little better. And the United States gave me an opportunity to kind of understand there's all this knowledge out there. Find yourself in it. Try some things, play some sports, try some art, you know, cut yourself, fall, get some D's, whatever. Mm -hmm. And... Some of it was guided, some of it was not. You know, I had some good, amazing teachers and professors, some good college counselors or whatever. But Mm -hmm. I think having that experience out of the bubble of standard education of what Brazilian culture taught me allowed me to really see the world, see myself in it, and then realize, okay, you got to go do philosophy to know what you're here for. Why do people think the way they do? Why is society this way? 
And then what are you going to do about it? And I was like, okay, environment's forgotten. Mm -hmm. People don't really think about it. They don't have to slaughter their cows. Mm -hmm. They call cows all the different parts. They don't know that their food is cows, you know. And and this is the world we are in today. So um, the pieces kind of came in as I realized I have all these pieces. I don't have to just play with one puzzle. I can kind of make my own. And it changed. Education for me is like... um, it's really what makes life amazing. You know, you mentioned I'm like a, an expert in, in, in plant-based and whatnot. Like, I don't think I'm an expert in anything because I am always thinking, you know, something in philosophy, which is epistemology. Like, how do you know this? How do you know that you know this? And well, I think I called you an big. extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. So, okay. You know, yeah. You're, you're like, you're a renaissance a good man. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. Because for me... Yeah, it's not extraordinary. It's not the same as an expert, but yeah, like I think I'm <laughs> always learning, always seeking to learn and improve what I'm doing. So learning really became different for me um, when I came to the U.S. And the more I go through life, I'm like, I don't know enough yet. Mm-hmm. I can't help enough people yet. You <laughs> know, I can't help myself enough. Yeah, yet. it's yeah, yeah. I mean that uh, that makes total sense, and I think that that aligns really well with my general philosophy about learning as well. I mean, I, I think that every single person you meet, you can learn something from them. And I found that once I, once I really was able to get out of my, I wouldn't call it necessarily a bubble because I think that, that there were definitely many, many, many times where that bubble was punctured growing up. But I I do think that when I was able to get out and study abroad in Australia, uh, which was my first time living without my mom and dad and sister, like within a 10 minute drive of myself. I, I kind of had one of those watershed moments again of like what you mentioned of being self-sufficient, but then it was more than that. And I think for me, it was about the ownership and the self-efficacy of being able to choose the way in which I spend my time. I get to choose the way I interact with the world and, and the, the school of life is so incredibly rich, right? And I think for me, it was always a balance between experiential learning and like academic and theoretical mm-hmm. learning. And that still, I think to, to this day is like always, always kind of top of mind for me. And I think about things like growing up playing soccer and, and learning how to play on a team and mm-hmm. accountability and teamwork and communication and uh, dedication and training and like those things that you learn as an athlete, mm-hmm. it, it applies to your life, right? And that, that, you know, my wife and I talk about that all the time. She played basketball growing up and it was very similar. You just have to learn these things. Uh, and if you're able to then take that and apply it beyond the sport, Mm-hmm. then it's going to serve you really well, right? And yep. I could hear a lot of that coming out in, in what, what you're saying. Um, and I think that it, it, you know, that brings us to, to, to our time when we were at, you know, in graduate school together and, and having different kind of like eclectic pasts and different disciplines, epistemologies, mm-hmm. uh, cosmologies, just different outlooks on the world. I think really played into how we were able to plug into that particular system, right? Like that educational structure, right? And it's, 
It's yeah, it's it's interesting to reflect on. Um, one of the things I wanted to to ask you, and this might actually dovetail really well into the uh, plant based conversation, mm-hmm. but like what led you to kind of pursue more of a focus on in the environment, sustainability, environmental justice, communication, those types of things. Like what what was that lever from philosophy to to that world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was about to wrap up my bachelor's, um, and we just kind of touched on something in sports that really kind of summed up to me what I really had to do. Um, There was a notion of the microcosm, so the way things operate at a very microscopic level, daily actions, that kind of thing, and the macrocosm of the world, how things operate at a big scale, they they very much kind of relate to one another. You can extrapolate some things you learn at a small scale and make it big. Um, and sports is a little microcosm of society. You know, got to get along with people. You got to be in the right direction. You got to put some work in. You make some mistakes. You have some big moments and you can blow that game. You can blow that save. You can win the championship or whatnot. And then the next day starts over again. Uh, and society, you've got to interact you got to vote you got to put the work in you got to save some lives you're going to lose some people it's very similar Mm -hmm. and thinking Mm -hmm. of philosophy for me i was like this is amazing okay i i I know the origins of where we are i I kind of get it now um (laughs) what am i gonna do besides the theoretical stuff how actions are made you know philosophy of action all of that fun stuff how am I going to put it into practice to really help um, something that's essential for us? Um, and thinking of where I wanted to take my life, I thought something that seems to me to be forgotten is our natural environment. You know, I was always this kid who loved nature and didn't really understand it enough, but I loved it. felt like there was something out there. Uh, that was also in me, the micro and macrocosm thing kind of resonating. I got to find out. Um, so I took a couple of classes before I graduated and um, I forget the exact name. I think they were, I forget the exact name of the course, but they were focused on toxic substances and how that impacts the environment and and all of that. And I thought, this is big. How do we not know what is in our water streams? How do we not know what is in our foods? Like, how does this happen? Um, I got to know more about this. This can't just go undone, unsaid. Um, I got to look at it. And getting into graduate school in Michigan, I had that opportunity to really dive into environmental justice to learn about... Not only don't people know enough about the impacts of big industry and agriculture and all that, but those who can cope with these issues the most, those who really struggle, um, they're in the outskirts, they're not really recognized, they get sevenfold, tenfold, a hundredfold the crappy situation yeah. than the people with privilege. Um, so... At the end of college, I started to get the sense that the environment was something that was kind of essential to us, the root of where we are, the ever-present thing that keeps us alive, that we just kind of tune it out. Oh, yeah, it's some greenery out there. I'll get my food at a grocery store and not really put together lots of those dots. The dichotomy that we're separate from nature. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the Cartesian model is great, but Descartes 
thought of himself as a mind without a body, right? I mean, if I if I remember it correctly, but if you don't sustain the body, if your food is not really getting your biome, you know, your your inner biome, your your microbes to operate, your brain's not going to get the power to do all the fun equations to the moon. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's very mm-hmm. simple, but the enlightenment was an amazing time for some things um, for us to develop new kinds of knowledge, but it was also a time that, you know, some things that I studied in college that really showed, okay, we're really separating things here. The witches have different kinds of knowledge and we'll burn them, but the priests and the artists, they, they're onto something. Let's do this math stuff instead. But everyone else, you know, they're, they're demon worshippers, right? And, Society is very much like that still today. Native yep. American people from all over the U.S. They have amazing sources of knowledge, amazing tools and perspectives to kind of deal with nature um, and see themselves in it, not just standing on land, but really being part of it. You know, that is mm-hmm. a much more realistic way of dealing with the environment. Um and things like that, that especially in grad school, I really started to pin down. Um, and was a professor at MSU at the time that I, I got to interview for my master's project. That really opened my eyes to even more of this uh, separation between what, what accepted Western society does, accepted science mm-hmm. in Western society does, and what so many other traditions have to offer and how many people are just left out of the process because it's put in there for generations. Um, so like you said, bit by bit, these things started to accumulate like an atomic reaction, right? And yeah, yeah, this becomes obvious after so long. Little trails. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's apparent too when you're you're going through the various textbooks, whatever age. Like yeah. these are all decisions that an author and an editor made. Right. They're curating that knowledge and the power dynamics and history of the way in which these educational resources are created are oh extremely God. fraught. And you know, that's you know, I get really angry when I think about all the things that I didn't get exposed to growing up in our educational system. You talk about the the Brazil system and you think about the curriculum and like it's the same thing in the U.S. Like where our, our educational system is so whitewashed and just so Eurocentric in, in all the ways. And there are winners and losers of history and it's codified mm-hmm. in a textbook. And like when you go through more and more education and just more layers and like you're actually reading uh you know direct uh pieces uh from folks that are maybe of a different perspective these light bulbs go on and you realize that like that could have very well been the the main uh resource Mm -hmm. on that but somebody chose not to feature that perspective right? right and you just start realizing how history has been you know you know, chosen and kind of curated for us and in a certain way. And it it just, for me, Mm -hmm. it it makes me question everything, but it also, I think fuels my, my thirst for learning and just continues Mm -hmm. to, 
to make me want to double down on that just approach of trying to just better understand the world around me mm-hmm. and and try to do it with humility and grace and empathy mm-hmm. uh, because if if you don't approach it like that you end up living in a society that's extremely polarized uh which which is where we are today yeah right? how's it working we, out <laughs> we need to break out of that <laughs> absolutely yeah. and, and i can't recall if you were in this class back at SNRE days, but thinking of the colonial history, um, I was in this class with Rebecca Hardin looking at justice issues and colonialism. I forget the exact name of it. But that course had people from all over the world, India, Texas, Brazil, Native American folks, gay, straight, everybody. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uganda, I can keep naming them. It was a small course, but it was just diversity in a classroom of 12 or whatever. And Rebecca Hardin, this angel of a person, just guiding us through the most important bits of knowledge that I think I ever had in one course, right? Just mm-hmm. because it really explained a lot of the roots, you know, that I came from. Oh, I saw this in history many years ago. Um, I've questioned this and that, but it really put the finger at the impacts of colonial um, and, and imperialism. And it all impacts where we are today. All these rich countries that play in the Euros, all their wealth, all their power, all their influence, it's all taken from the backs of people from all over the world that never saw mm-hmm. any of that glory. And to really have a society that goes forward and really learns about how to operate better in this world, we got to face those realities. And I think very recently, um, a couple of weeks ago, if that time is kind of crazy in the pandemic, I was listening to this webinar with Kyle Powies White, uh, then from MSU, but now at SEAS. Uh, he's an amazing professor, a Native American, um, a brilliant mind in the environmental justice movement. And he was saying how the Anishinaabe people, they have a perspective in the environment where they've faced climate change issues in the past. And back then, their solutions to things wasn't to come up with some kind of tool or different ways to use the technology that they had. Of course, now it's different with the tools we have. But the thing here was they found a way to look at how society was operating, the things that they were doing, the sources of food, whatever, and to restructure that, re-engineer an ethical and and societal framework that would allow the climate to recover, the species to come back, the landscape, the streams. And isn't that what we have to do? I always think to myself... Our climate catastrophe is our catastrophe. <laughs> we can throw money at the problem. We can put plants and you know power plants and do all these fake burgers or whatever. But who's causing all these things? Like we have to be able to put our hands up and be like, yes, I come from this background. This is what my family's done. This is what I've contributed up to this point. From today on, there's got to be a switch that we flick. There's mm-hmm. got to be it because are we going to go to Mars with Elon Musk tomorrow and play golf on the moon or whatever? We're not. We've got to deal with it now. And 
the more we don't face these things, the more we don't take a dive into our diets, the more we don't acknowledge the pollution that we put out there on black and brown bodies and the violence in that way too, how are we going to solve any of these things? I can think of a number of other courses at, at in graduate school that we really walked through those that that history of the colonialism, the imperialism. Yeah. I also, you know, I've I've reflected on this within this podcast several times before, but I think of an organization like the Peace Corps that mm. enabled me to go and serve abroad in Ethiopia for a couple of years. And it's it is so incredibly fraught with white saviorism and right. uh, you know ad, advantage capitalism and and really just you know that that entire colonial structure that as you know, 21 to 25 year olds graduating with an undergraduate degree from America yeah. are sent all over the world to work in these communities. And, and I really believe in the organization and I, I really like it, it was so transformative for myself, but I'm not going to yeah. sit here and, and kid myself and, and be blind to the fact that there there are a lot of systemic issues with any type of, you know, Western uh, organization going into communities uh, with the notion that they're there to fix something or to, mm -hmm. to help. Right there. Yeah. There's the power dynamics are not they're not bi-directional. Uh, there's there's just so much history that we can't run away from. And I think yeah. that that's part of even why I wanted to start this podcast is to kind of put my hand up and say, mm. I've learned so much by traveling and I've used travel as this mirror to better understand how my identity and this body like mm -hmm. moves around our world. And I think that it's, it, it's such a fascinating thing because I think, you know, obviously we're all unique and we're all different and mm. every circumstance is going to be nuanced to the nth degree. And I think that, you know, in talking to amazing people like you, like we begin to just kind of peel back the layers of understanding and empathy and just, I think, get at the core of what brings us closer together and really what mm -hmm. we have in common versus why we're all different and why we're just consistently disagreeing and fighting each other. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's. That, that's where we need to go. That's the direction we need to go, right? And especially when I think of the climate emergency, like, yeah, the GF, G7 summit is a thing that happens and they can talk about some stuff. Mm. But these huge politicians, like their interests, like you said earlier, are they're not necessarily in averting this climate disaster. Their interests are so much more complex mm -hmm. and like like oh we'll agree on something because now we need to subdue china mm -hmm. right like that's a response that they get and i think that it's it's easy to get lost in like the mm -hmm. the macro macro geopolitics of everything because yeah. you're just so disconnected and your your ownership and impact in those spaces is virtually zero uh we're just all kind of spectators at this point mm. but i think that there's there's definitely a lot of personal reflection you can do and really think about what do you have ownership over yeah regardless of the topic but like what what do you have efficacy over what can you change right absolutely everything within us has a cause and all the traveling that we can do eventually our travels end up inside us <laughs> because we have a baggage 
physical, emotional, colonial, financial, whatever we call it. We come from somewhere yeah. along the chain. And from us on, something's going to happen. And we can choose what that is to a certain extent. We can be lucky, unlucky, educated, whatnot. But once you see some things, it's in your hands to to see how you can explore that and help people with it. Be useful for yourself and society. That's always how I tried to to be. And even in graduate school when I became, you know, educated in some things, it took a friend of mine who was a vegan to introduce me to a movie that flicked the switch at a very specific moment, which, you know, people change what they're doing for different reasons. But um, it was a very specific moment that resonated with me and who I wanted to be. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you know, I cannot get out of this movie theater and call myself an environmentalist like Howard Lyman says in Cowspiracy. It was that movie that got me. Um, he said that you can eat animals all you want, but you can't call yourself an environmentalist. And I thought to myself, I've always loved animals. I'm in the school of natural resources and environment. I call myself an ethical person. I think I stand for X, Y, Z. I don't really see these animals on my plates. I don't really see them in the labels. Uh, that is my, the joys of my life are absolutely standing on the suffering of these other beings that I, I say I love, that I was feeding carrots to in an ec ecological trip. How does that work? It doesn't work. <laughs> so I got out of the movie theater and I, I turned to my friend and said, start today, where are we going for dinner? That was February 15th, 2016, and I haven't changed since because it did not match who I wanted to be, and that was it. I've been trying to improve my vegan self ever since, but so you just, I realized you just I had quit to be eating it. you. You just quit eating meat, cold tofu, and just oh, just stop. <laughs> cold tofu, I like that. You try to sneak <laughs> that in there. Yes, cold tofu. Um, yeah, man, it was from one day to another. No more animal products, and the big journey of discovery of looking outside and really trying something that was just different. You know, I grew up in a house that would eat rice, beans, meat, potatoes, maybe some vegetables. I wasn't really into vegetables and then try to eat some American foods in boarding school and whatnot. And then from one day to the other, I got to fix myself a whole new world. And I discovered Thai cuisine, I discovered Vietnamese cuisine, I discovered all of these spices and learned really to cook for myself. Well, kind of learned it, you know, learn more every day, burn lots of dishes. Still learning. Oh, eat so many disgusting things that I think are going to work and I just mess it up because I don't follow instructions. No, that's on me too. <laughs> but really becoming an owner of your decisions. You got to put it on your plate. You got to see where the source is. Is it going to be good for you? You got to get the things you need to get and you thrive from there. But if you don't take ownership of it, then then you're just going with McDonald's or whatever they're saying. You know, <laughs> don't sue us in this podcast, but you know, that is what it is. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> 
take on Big Mac. No, I, I think that you're touching on a few like just really core tenets of, of someone who's decided to actively make the choice to go plant based or, or vegan. We can we can talk about the terms, but, you know, food, food is a choice that we make every single time we, we sit down to eat. What we put into our body is a manifestation of our values, our identity, and ultimately the type of world that we want to live in. And I think that like that it's taken me a long time to get to that point. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like we have agency over what we eat. And I think you said it beautifully just then in in that you you got exposed to so many new new types of food and different cultural cuisines yeah. and just a lot more out there. And and my what I always say too when I think about this, when I just talk about it with with folks, whether they're uh, on on any stage of this this journey or just exploring it, mm-hmm. you know, it's not about what you give up; it's about what you gain. And I really like I I feel so strongly about the the gain part of it, mm-hmm. and I, I really think of that so multifaceted in that you gain exposure to new knowledge, you gain exposure to mm-hmm. new history, you gain exposure to you know, new foods, of course, better understanding of nutrition. Cause now, now that you're, you're opting out of what our system has told us that we're supposed to eat, or you're just opting in to choosing mm-hmm. what you put in your mouth. Yep. You're now the captain of that ship. You have to read nutrition labels. You have to understand where you're getting certain nutrients. You have to make sure that you're being a responsible person you're mm-hmm. you're trying to make sure that you're there and i think for me raising two plant-based children takes that to a whole new level where yeah. where i have to like really double double down on that education for myself and part of it is the understanding of where we get these different nutrients the science behind what our body needs mm-hmm. uh and and that part of it but the other part is like the skills like learning how to use new ingredients learning that these ingredients even exist learning where to get them and for me a huge part of this journey was you know building on my experience in ethiopia as a food security volunteer Mm -hmm. i came back home and i started gardening like crazy and just like trying to just see what i could grow and and really trying to foster a connection to the food that I'm eating, mm-hmm. right? Because we're so disconnected. So from disconnected, it, right? and that's and that's kind of the, that's the kind of thing that comes from the industrial revolution when when everyone just got access to this big operation food operation distribution system. You don't have to grow things anymore. You can delegate this from your life. You know. Okay, you just go to the grocery store. Don't have to worry where it comes from. And, you know, you're on this boat, you're on this ship. And I think most of the world right now is on that ship. And how's it working out? Are we going towards icebergs or Paradise Island? You know, how is it really working? How many people in this country are obese? How many people in this country are struggling with diabetes? And those two things are so closely tied together if you're overweight. I think more than half of the people in the United States are just ticking time bombs because of what they put on their plates and, and they don't have an education system or a government that subsidizes the right things or teaches them an alternative. And knowledge can be power and, and power can be power or whatnot, but giving people the opportunity to be aware of themselves and get the feel for what they should and should not 
intake to to carry on with their own bodies, the only things that can really kind of control. That is massive. You know, people have to be aware um, and, and even be open to trying some things. And it takes, you know, it took me several years of calling myself, you know, an ethical animal lover. And it was one movie that changed it because of an identity uh, reflection. Um, that was it for me. Some people see animals suffering and they get overwhelmed with emotion and then they change. Some people want to mm -hmm. be healthier and, and they want to overcome some disease or they want to overcome an injury, recover faster like James Wilkes, mm -hmm. right? That was his thing that mm -hmm. pushed him into yeah, the game, game the changers. Game changers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it will get you to recover faster. Amazing. You know, you're not giving up... You know, giving up some taste here and there, but you're also giving up a lot of unhealthy elements of that food that puts people in the emergency room and gives them heart attacks left and right. When you could choose something that's got dense calories, protein, which is not doesn't have to be 99% of what you eat shooting up in your veins, you know, and... <laughs> Yeah, the, the so many other myth is, is something to to talk through by itself. Right. Like we, like I, I think one of the the kind of bigger things for me when I'm thinking about all these things is just the sheer inefficiency of our food systems. Yes. Like we're <laughs> growing an enormous amount of food, yeah, using Not an enormous <laughs> amount of resources, land, water, like everything, and again. A lot of these farms, CAFOs, all these other things, if they're in the U.S., uh, Brazil, obviously, you know, struggles with this as well. Oh, yeah. We're, um, we're, but, we're great. We're burning know, our forests like <laughs> as money and we don't have either. Yeah. But there's intermediaries and those intermediaries are the animals that people put in their mouths and eat, right? Yeah. It's all of those nutrients that are plant-based are going to the animals that ultimately people end up eating and they're getting a fraction of the nutrients that they could be getting directly from plants, mm -hmm. right? So you talk about the the nutrient density and the the calorie density of, of eating just plants, like get it directly from the source. You don't need to have an intermediary in there, uh, you know, that that's kind of processing your your food and i think mm -hmm. it's it's just broken right because these animals also need supplements for all sorts of things because they're deficient medicine because they're yeah. being yeah. they're being fed one type of grain right they're being force fed and and they're they're living horrible lives and then ultimately at the end of the day these diseases that that you mentioned diabetes and and just the obesity epidemic in the states like that's fueling the medical industry on the back end like mm -hmm. they're they're making billions of dollars off of treating that right mm -hmm. and there's this whole systemic loophole or this this systemic loop that is created that mm -hmm. no one can get out of like it's it's a trap in so many ways right mm -hmm. yeah it's a feedback loop and another feedback loop um if you were thinking on a smaller scale if you had a small property you know you have your home a part of that garden that you have you can dedicate that to some animals some plants some leisure you gotta sustain the animals with something so you gotta cut some of that land for them they're gonna need water you gotta provide that they're gonna be you know pooping some of them dying there'll be pollution from 
all the emissions within the process. Once they die, you got to get rid of their bodies. We're doing that, but just in the massive scale of our planet. And like I said earlier, this is the one home we have, like Greta Thunberg. She's, she's <laughs> no, it, it's a crazy situation where a teenager has to kind of give a reality check to the world, but she's got it. She gets it. And she says, we're in this house that's on fire. And we're, we're the G7 flying on our jets and watching jets go overhead while we eat our steaks. Eat barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that Instagram post that she made. It's, yeah. it's, so, it's so poignant, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many avenues to talk about why being plant-based um, is a thing for at least the two of us and, and a couple others. But um, the thing that, that gets me is like I said, how I see myself and what I want to do with my life. Um, I see more similarities between myself and the other, be it a four-legged one or a flying one, whatever. I, I put myself on that kind of camp. I'm not going to go mm-hmm. banging on anyone's door to do it, but I, I feel it. You know, I get that feeling. My dog and a cow aren't too different. I've been around both. They're very similar. For me... I see a being that's got connections and emotions and struggles and, you know, desires. No one likes to get whipped, be it someone with glasses or someone with a, with a label on a ear, you know? Um, but some people want to know the health implications. They don't want to deal with the ethics. They don't want to deal with the economics. They want to just focus on emissions. Okay, there is enough of that. Go look at the UN reports. <laughs> There's plenty of reasoning to be found. And we have all the knowledge in the world. And, you know, we were talking knowledge about... Knowledge is out there. Knowledge yeah. is out there. We were just talking about colonialism for the longest time because that's something that consumes my life um, that I think about a lot. And I just watched a documentary that's called Exterminate All the Brutes. And it talks about that a lot. We have all the knowledge that we have. We have everything we need to understand this. From here on out, we got to do something. Doesn't tell you what to do, but here it is on a platter. We got it. There's no way to ignore where our knowledge has taken us. It's up to us to either be watching memes online or actually be trying to look inside and all the travels we can do online if we don't come back inside and realize this is the impact i want to have am i having it can i try a diet that might help another living being can i try a diet that's going to make me healthier can i try a diet that's going to reduce my health bills or my light bill or whatever it's a privilege to try some of the things that most people say oh yeah vegans eat this and that it's not all over the world but, you know, you can also be a vegan and eat Oreos and, you know, you're going to pass out after a while. But if you eat a healthy, whole food, plant-based diet and you, ex- you experiment here and there to figure out what's really your thing, the foods you like to eat, you're not giving up anything that you'd choose otherwise if you were, you know, in that mindset. You really wouldn't. Yeah. I, I find that, like, you know... When I think of, I don't get a lot of cravings for for meat or for just meals that I, mm-hmm. I used to eat all the time. And I was like you. I mean, I grew up eating meat all the time. My dad still eats like right. two bratwursts, you know, every night after dinner still as a snack. You know, that's 
that's that's you know the house I grew up in. And, fathers and are tough to change. I think that yeah, <laughs> fathers yeah, are tough I, to I, think through. Trust things. me, I've 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 tried uh, to my <laughs> to my own failures, but um, no, I mean I think that like you know one of the things that that really. Uh, excites me about having conversations with folks that are on any stage of this journey is to really just be honest about my own journey and and thinking about the the types of skills that I had to gain, how long it took me to to gain it. Um, I didn't go cold tofurkey. I you know I <laughs> ate eggs for a while. I still ate sushi for a while. Mm-hmm. Like I, I it took me. Um, it took me like you know several years to like really kind of draw that down, and, and you didn't have the cheese years, barrier. Just, so many people have right, the cheese well, and barrier. And you I never should also that mention that I'm, I'm <laughs> anaphylactically deathly allergic to to dairy. So when it comes out of a cow's udder, it will kill me. Uh, so I I have a certain level of respect for cows because they hold my kryptonite. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, I, I really think about it's it's the sauce that I miss. I think it's the flavoring, mm. it's the the spices. But I, I think there's also, you know, I'll even just take tonight's dinner for example. So tonight I made a uh, chorizo uh, a chorizo wrap for the boys, mm. uh, plant based, right? So I took walnuts and I. I you know, toasted them in a pan, mm-hmm. um, get them nice and crispy, uh, put them in the food processor, chop them up. I put some sun-dried tomatoes in there as well. And then I, you know, made some uh, brown lentils uh, on, on the stove and tossed them in the food processor as, as well uh, with about 10 different spices, uh, familiarizing yourself with spices, experimenting. Uh-huh. And that was my my taco meat, right? And it was, Damn. the texture was amazing. Dude, the flavor deliver. was good. We had a little bit of char, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know, right? I made a tahini <laughs> sauce. Uh, I made a little coleslaw, you know, that like a vegan coleslaw that goes on top. And like flavor city exists within plant-based diets. Mm-hmm. And I think that people just assume they're going to eat iceberg lettuce for the rest of their lives, which is just so horribly inaccurate. Right. And I, I would just say, you know, anybody listening to this right now, just like do some exploration if you're curious and go out and explore just look up a recipe, buy the ingredients and just try it. Like mm-hmm. follow the directions. Don't, don't pull a Vitor and just go off into the weeds your first time. Like oh, yeah. try to follow the directions. <laughs> But it's so, I mean, it's there, it's, it's accessible and it's, it's, it's so much more accessible. I think even when I started this journey five years ago, right? Absolutely. It's, <laughs> I definitely made lots of mistakes learning how to cook for myself that way. Uh, but so many people in this world have access to beans beans they basically are superfood in so many ways we don't think of them that way but they've got the protein you need you know they've got i don't know it's a go-to for me i eat a lot of that mm-hmm. sweet potatoes um they are such a staple brown rice you can get your proteins from there your carbs from there you can get the energy you need from there and you know, I a couple of weeks ago I finished a course in plant-based nutrition with um, T. Colin Campbell as the the main guy, right? So he's one of the. So your extraordinary your extraordinary title is coming into play now. A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. I'll kind of take that title, <laughs> but uh, it was a big learning experience to kind of 
see a little bit more of the research on how much protein do you really need? How many people and, you know, how many different societies that barely operate with animal-based products and they're thriving, they live longer, those blue zone folks, they don't eat a lot of meat. People in Papua New Guinea and some Aborigines in Mexico, most of their diets, like 80 or 80 plus percent are just variations of sweet potato. So, I am all in for that because am I placing a priority on taste, which I don't really have to give up if I try some different flavors, or am I placing priority on life, you know, myself experimenting with things and a life that I don't need to take to put on my plate um, with environmental impacts that we can and can't have and all that. So there are so many benefits, like you said, you're, you're giving up a little bit of the, the culture that never questioned itself, a culture that has led us mm-hmm. to a climate emergency. That's led us to, let us as in led us, not let us. <laughs> I barely let us to, <laughs> b- believe it or not, you know, it's not one of the go-tos. Vegans don't just eat lettuce, like you said. Um, we're not out <laughs> in the pastures. Nice. But how many people especially in the United States, are struggling with this diet, the American diet, mm-hmm. does it really do a lot of people favors. And another big thing in this course was talking about people being overweight and how people who are overweight are like seven times more likely to develop diabetes. And I forget the Dr. Neil Bernard, right? Yeah, yeah. Another one of the Mount Rushmore guys in plant-based nutrition. He treats patients with uh, diabetes, mostly with plant-based diets, whole foods and all that. And I recall he looked at 40 studies. And out of the 38, vegans were lighter than, than people who ate animal products. And if you have that relationship there with being overweight and diabetes... How about getting on the non-diabetic trend? Um, (laughs) It's not a guarantee. You can develop some things. Genes will dictate some of what you end up becoming. But if you're putting bad things in your body and you're expecting a good outcome, then you're you're playing with fire a little bit. And I don't think we have the the luxury with one body to to really do that every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to just emphasize that like there's no one way to go plant based, right? Like there's nope. the I think of you know so the Game Changers is a, a movie that we had mentioned before, right. which really zeroes in on like plant based athletes yeah. and uh, you know kind of busts I think a lot of the the protein myths and and presents some really interesting science. Yeah. Um, but what I really liked about the the documentary and the storytelling mm-hmm. within it is it kind of showed like, you know, there's the the soccer player, the female soccer player's diet is going to be different than the NFL player. Right. Right. And the professional Olympic weightlifter. And these are different goals. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're, it's a different body type. It's a different caloric intake. Right. Um, and it's it's just a different strategy. Right. And I think that the nuances that present themselves in the athletic like realm are so important for us to just think about and consider. Mm-hmm. And like as as 
like someone that also like endeavors in various athletic, uh, you know, events and, and various forms of athletic, mm-hmm. um, lifestyles over the years. Like I, I find that it, it really makes a lot of sense. Right. Absolutely. And I, I look at all of the different examples that are presented in, in a, in a movie like that. And it just kind of makes me think about, uh, my you know 15 year old self and uh the all the lies really that i was fed uh i was a soccer player growing up and i mm-hmm. i was a forward i needed to like i wanted to grow bigger upper body so that when the defenders came shoulder to shoulder with me i wouldn't just collapse like a little string bean um <laughs> and i actually you know i i ate like creatine supplements like i did smoothies and i you know i tried to do all the things that i think a lot of young american men try to do all the supplements and like mm-hmm. protein 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 uh eating a lot of meat and you know reflecting on it i just kind of like part of me is like really disappointed the other part of me just kind of laughs a little bit to <laughs> just see how easily like swayed we are and just how yeah. we're just all sheep and we just kind of blindly follow mm-hmm. like these these practices that like really don't necessarily have the outcomes that we're looking for right absolutely we don't really grow up at least in i guess in our settings we didn't really grow up with even the awareness that we could question our the sources of our foods really or even that asking it was a thing that could be feasible you know why we we have the foods we need you know the american diet is you know everyone's six five in the football field and you know they're tackling each other making millions that's working out fine for so many people why do anything differently you know he's 300 pounds and he can lift a truck isn't that great he'll make it to 50 and have a heart attack <laughs> you know i mean so many um of these huge athletes that grew up on animal-based products struggle later in life. And so many of those guys that switch earlier, you know, you have powerlifters, bodybuilders who have switched early on. And I think um, earlier today, right, Rich Roll had a, an episode with one of the body vegan bodybuilders, one of the first ever. And that guy... You know, he's out there. He was, I think, what's his name? Robert Cheek, if I if I remember that right. He was also yep. in the course, um, the Equinel course with T. Colin Campbell. And he talks about it. He's the only one. And he looked as good as anyone else. You know, you have Nimaya Delgado, who is, you know, if you look at him on Instagram, people, the guy is... He's like a G.I. Joe figure. The guy's ripped out of his mind. And it's not because of the way he looks, but you can go for the looks with this kind of a, of a worldview. I don't think it's just what you put on your plate. You know, you're treating yourself better. You're treating other animals better, the planet better. Um, you might have an allergy that you can't eat some things. Fine. You might have a particular condition or a genetic predisposition to maybe need to fortify something that you eat. Of course, you're not going to eat like LeBron James every day and, and be Superman. But like you said, the nuance is everything. And if you take the time to know your body, try some things, you can arrive at a super healthy state for now, for tomorrow in the long haul and help a lot of people along the way, help animals along the way and get out of those feedback loops that we talked about. 
Because we can't be on ships, like I said, that go to the promised land or we can go to the iceberg. And we've had so much of that in the past several years that I think we should stop <laughs> going in that direction. I will certainly link uh, some of these resources that we've we've talked about. Um, you just you mentioned Robert Cheek and, and there's Matt Frazier as well. They, right. And he's the, the no meat athlete dude. And uh, they just came out with a book that I think launched today called Plant Based Athlete, which is essentially the, the book version of the Game Changers movie um, <laughs> where they kind of profile amazing athletes and, and their journeys. Um, but, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll definitely link that in there. Um, and I would also like just double click on Ritual and the Ritual podcast sure. is just a really good starting point, I think, for anyone interested in learning more about this space. Um, so for for folks that are still listening to us that that didn't drop off because <laughs> they were listening to do to like vegan zealots talk about <laughs> everything that they're doing wrong, uh, which I hope we didn't come across that way. Uh, but for folks that are still listening, uh, you know, they're probably interested in, in exploring uh, at least to a certain degree what a plant based lifestyle might look like for them. Uh, what would you say to those people right now? Like what would be your not necessarily advice, mm -hmm. but, you know, what what would you want to kind of end this this conversation on for those folks? Well, you mentioned Rich Roll and his resources his story grabbed me and he has a plant-based meal planner. You know, I'm going to plug this in for him. Shameless plug, but <laughs> um, it really helped me trying to try different kinds of foods, lays out some smoothies you can have at different times, different kinds of recipes, has a food cart in there. You can even get it delivered to your door. I tend to walk places, no smaller carbon footprint, but... It's a lot in there that really helped me kind of structure my meals. And I struggle with that, you know, thinking of time that I have to do some meditation, do some workouts, do my job, you know, talk to friends in Brazil and all that. I have to be better about planning my meals. And that has helped me for a good time, learned me how to get more programmatic. I'm not turning myself into a, a vegan robot, but making sure that I wasn't just rushing between meals and grabbing an easy snack, but preparing ahead of time, having something in the fridge that I can toss together, make something new that was great. And also the one-to-one -one tribe, I found out about them kind of through Rich as well. Uh, he, he had an episode with Darren Oline, who's another you know, superfood guy, brilliant. He has a show called Down to Earth with Zach Heffron, and he has this organization called one to one tribe and i'm a big fan of theirs he um his partner in that venture is sorina fredholm she she's a romanian just beauty of a woman and she does so many cool diet plans and you can have some cleanses and try a bunch of things out i think she has a 10-day program to kind of get that started try it out super cool stuff i think it's free um so those are a couple little bits and kind of feel it out if you like sweet potatoes try a bunch of things with sweet potatoes you don't have to just eat raw kale every day um this can be a super exciting opportunity you know i went from eating you know the standard American diet for a while and a couple of other things that made my life very convenient in graduate school um, to really trying all sorts of cuisines, all sorts of different flavors, Indian food, 
Thai food, like I said, I absolutely love. Mexican food, you can make all these different things with some modifications. It's about trying. And if you're alive nowadays and you're not trying to <laughs> change and adapt, like who's really pulling the strings in life? I think it's so important um, to never just take things for granted. Assume that everyone giving you advice is going to take you where you need to go. Um, so that's that on a food front, but you know, as far as a life front goes, if I can interject, you know, I'm not one to kind of tell people what to do, but I think a big thing, and we talked about this a lot today, is you don't need to take advice from everybody all the time. Listen to yourself. Take a look at how your life has gone, what you want to be about. Does X really mix with you? Does Y really mix with you? Do you really resonate with this? Are you doing well? Do you need help with whatever it is? Are you afraid of this? Are you excited about that? Um, it's, it takes some self-knowledge. You've got to get advice from yourself on some things and then go out and, and into the world and venture into different types of things. But... You know, you're not going to be your own dentist, you know, doing a root canal on yourself. Don't try that at home, please, unless you're a dentist and you can master that skill. But um, there are some life decisions that are yours to make. And eating is, is one of them. <laughs> it's a massive one that is very much overlooked. Um, but I fully encourage people to, to think about that portion of it because... You know, I, I went back into sports, you know, after leaving, like I mentioned way earlier, and coming back into soccer as a vegan guy, I, I can run more than a lot of people can. I can last more than I ever did. I feel like I'm mm -hmm. really living my best life, um, even just physically. Um, so... That, I think that's big as well. You know, you don't need to take advice from everybody on everything. Take advice from yourself and then see who's got that additional piece of knowledge that can take you to the next step. And, you know, if you go plant-based and whole food, sweet. <laughs> but, you know, definitely take some, some time for yourself, some self-love time. Because I think we all need more of that. I constantly... You know, catch myself thinking, you know, have you done this today? You should have done this today. It makes you feel great. Mm -hmm. Why haven't you? And I think it's time that we all care more about ourselves and, and the other. But it takes that, that exercise, that self-knowledge and trying. <laughs> I think we need, to, we need to try things, not be scared of it because it can lead to amazing places. Nothing you and I and, you know, and rich roles in our pedestal, but <laughs> you know, I think, I think it's worthy to admire what some people are doing, not to idolize them, but to see what works because it can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's amazing advice across the board. And I, I really, you know, I, I think of various chapters of my journey and I think, 
for me, it was finding that inspiration, finding the Scott Jurics or the rituals or, you know, again, two men, ultra endurance athletes. So that makes sense for me. I got into that. You know, that was a story that resonated with me. Um, But there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of these stories that are easily accessible. Right. So I would just encourage anyone to just... You know, go to Google to start exploring, you know, start kind of taking taking a look at the stories that are out there and, you know, plot your own journey and just know that you're unique and your journey is going to be unique. And whether it's incremental over a 15 year period or whether you go cold tofurkey like our, our pal yep, here, Vitor, I did. you know, there's. There's a lot of ways to, to, to do this. And yeah, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful for this conversation and I'm already thinking of episode two and three and four with you. Cause I, <laughs> I really do want to dive into some of the, the minutia and the details with sure you thing, in future man. conversations. Cause I, I think that this is, if not the most important thing that I'm, I'm talking about mm. on, on the show, but I think this is one of the most important conversations we, we could be having. And I think it's yes, less but. about the, the, the diet and more about the intersectionality that we've talked about before the history with colonialism, the, the power dynamics, the systemic problems that we're, we're collectively facing. And I think it's trying to just be honest with ourselves and trying to think about the roles that we as individuals play in our societies and make that conscious decision to be part of the solution uh, versus kind of closing our eyes and living our lives in the dark. Absolutely. (laughs) Whatever darkness we're in, if we're not going to choose to be light, however we picture that, we're just going to be in the dark all the time. And we're going to keep sailing blind. And the Titanic went down that way. And I don't think society has the luxury of doing that. I mean, we can do it. Nature's going to be around after us if we choose to go out the way we're, we're going now, swinging for the fences. Um, but, yeah, I think you summed it up beautifully because, you know, I, I thought about this earlier and, and I, I forgot to mention, but I am on Pelin land, you know, they're a tribe of the uh, Mobek Maoloni tribe. And this is my place to claim. This is my place to just do whatever I want, however I want it, like everyone before me and my family and my bloodline that I've done the research on, I know that they did. I know there are slaves in my family tree. I know there are Native Americans in my family tree, Native indigenous peoples from Brazil. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. they didn't all come to the boat willingly. So from now Mm -hmm. on, knowing that on the land that I stand today, that is unseated, that's an ancestral home that was stolen. And in this planet, you know, the macrocosm that we're on, this one planet we have, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to ignore the people in the periphery who are pushed there intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but mostly intentionally? Or are we going to look everyone in the eye and recognize we're not so different? We all need to eat. We all need to sleep. We all need healthy relationships. We all deserve a fruitful life. And there's 8 billion of us humans. And all these other non-humans, we're all animals. We need very basic things. Like all the other animals need these, t- these things as well. So 
Are we going to see the similarities? Are we going to keep ignoring them, like you said, and just you know do whatever and get on a plane, burn fossil fuels, eat whatever? Like you know, like there's no tomorrow because tomorrow's going to come, and it's our choice how it comes. Um, so at the end of the day, it's in our hands to at least acknowledge these things. And then we take it from there. We can have dialogues like these. We can try different diets. We can, yeah, we can try to build these relationships and connections. But if we don't even try, if we just put a label on, ah, veganism is hard, it's about lettuce, and I can't do this, can't do that, all the things I'm losing. If you don't see the other side, or you don't acknowledge or try to see it, we're going to be in the dark and... We need some light. <laughs> that, I think that's, that's what we need. We've got to try at least to see and be it because no one else will. Well said, Vitor. Uh, so for folks that want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Uh, they can find me on Instagram, uh, vimachli, V-I-M-A-C-H-L-I. Um, I've had that kind of short little acronym since Michigan's my email there. Uh, kind of kept it, and you'll see some soccer stuff and some food stuff in there, and nothing too yes. crazy. But yes. I try to keep it very much to the nature of this conversation. Um, just trying to share whatever goodness I can, some reflections, and if people are interested, please do reach out. Well. Thank you so much, Vitor, for joining us in this conversation. It's been really great. It's been so fantastic to catch up in this in this medium, uh, but also just so love hearing uh, what you have to say, what you've been up to. Thank you, man. I got to visit you at St. Martin and we'll have more of these conversations and so honored to be here. You're one of the, the lights out there, like we've been talking. Uh, most of the time, it's you know, it's some colleagues of mine, some females that have a more empathic heart. And I don't know why that seems to be the case. Um, I think there are more women in this kind of vibe and this movement. Uh, but every now and then I see another guy like myself um, who's, who's got a different reality to live, you know, a different burden, a different kind of responsibility in the way, you know. Most of the stories that we live through today are mostly because of white men doing whatever they wanted. And I think if we don't acknowledge that, like we've been saying all the time, it's it's doomed to repeat itself. And you're one of the guys that is just living and breathing the good stuff. So it's such a pleasure to talk to you, man. Big time. Thank you. I love it. Well, let's, let's keep spreading the vibes and uh, keep eating those plants. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Thanks. Until next time. All right, everybody. That was my conversation with Vitor. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoy talking about diet and all the surrounding issues that we unpacked in today's conversation. Uh, As I mentioned, I will be sure to link a lot of those resources in the show notes for this episode, along with ways in which you can connect with Vitor uh, to share your own experiences, ask him questions, and dive a little bit deeper into the plant-based world. I also want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. It's really been an inspirational journey for myself. Uh, A couple ways that you can support the podcast 
Go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, leave a review if you can. That's super helpful. And I also have a donation page open on Anchor or, uh, you know, I've got my PayPal links uh, in the descriptions and any direct support you send my way is greatly appreciated as we start to build this out and start getting more and more interesting guests along the way. And once again, full of gratitude. Thanks for tuning in and I will see you next time.